Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today we feature Vance Habner. He grew up in the North Carolina hills, living a simple life of an old-fashioned country boy, trampling through the woods with his shepherd dog. His father was an austere but devout Christian, the pastor's right-hand man at the Old Corinth Baptist Church. By writing 20 books, preaching on the road for 27 years, and ministering for 52 years, Dr. Habner is one of America's most prolific 20th century evangelists. Today's sermon, preached in 1957, is based on Matthew 18, where the Lord speaks of entering the kingdom of heaven by becoming a little child in faith. I don't know of anything that could better engage our thought at this closing hour for me than a meditation on some precious verses in Matthew 18. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. The great evangelist Gypsy Smith died in true Gypsy tradition while on a journey and in his 87th year. He was one of the last of the old school. He was called to preach at 17, sang and preached the gospel around the world. He was simple and original and colorful. He used to say, I was born in a field, don't put me in a flower pot. He was not a theologian. He would have agreed with Sam Jones, who used to say that he liked flowers but not botany, and he liked religion but not theology. He would have agreed with Billy Sunday, who said he didn't know any more about theology than a jackrabbit did about ping pong. Of course it's all right to know about theology, and it reminds me that somebody said to the gypsy one time, you ought to learn to sing from your diaphragm. He said he didn't want to learn to sing from his diaphragm, he wanted to sing from his heart. Well, you can sing from your heart and your diaphragm both, you know, at the same time. I remember hearing the gypsy tell the story of his conversion when he was well in his 80s. I won't forget how it gripped that congregation, what a blessing it was to us. They tell me that uh, somebody asked him when uh, he was near the close of his journey. How is it that you have kept so fresh with your message through all these years? And the gypsy answered, I have never lost the wonder. I think that's a classic explanation. Every preacher ought to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. The biggest problem that any preacher has today is how to toughen his hide without hardening his heart. 
Now that's a pretty hard combination to manage. The gypsy had the heart of a child and he never lost the wonder. I think this is one thing our Lord meant in Matthew 18:3, except you be converted and become as little children. Children have not lost the wonder. They've not been here long enough to get used to it. They have a sense of surprise. Anything can happen, you know. Everything's brand new. Somebody said at uh, four they know all the questions and at 18 they know all the answers. I've often wished that I could be a sophomore again. I never knew as much as I did when I was a sophomore. Sometimes I think if I could be a sophomore again, I could unravel all the problems today, but I've passed that now and I can't get back. You see, with a child, every turn of the road may hold a glad surprise, and the commonest humdrum day is glorified by the glamour of imagination. Because with a child, everything is about one-fourth fact and three-fourths fancy. That makes life interesting. We get over that, of course, eventually, and all too soon. For several years, I had the companionship of a nephew who lost his dad when he was four and a half, and for, oh, until he was 11 or 12, what a wonderful time we had together. He entered into another phase, of course, when I wasn't as important as I uh, had been, you know how it is, but when I was very important, we had a wonderful, wonderful time together. And uh, I would lug home a load of gadgets every time, and we spent so much time out in the woods building mud castles and catching crawfishes and oh, I know not what all. And many a time as we've strolled along, and he was ahead of me just looking right and left, you know, anything could happen, any bend of the road might hold some wonderful surprise. I found myself saying, Lord, help me to be that kind of a Christian. Help me to move through this world expecting wonderful things from God. Give me a sense of anticipation and expectation. We get over that, you see. All too soon and now sooner than ever, we lose the wonder. Some time ago there was an article in Saturday Evening Post on what happened to the magic of childhood. I hope you read it. It was an excellent article. And it's high time somebody wrote an article on that because today the magic is disappearing all too soon from childhood. Our youngsters become cynical and fed up and sophisticated, old men and women, before they're out of their teens. And in this TV age, you see, they've seen everything and heard everything. They've seen atom bombs go off before their eyes. I don't know what it would take today to surprise a youngster. What would it take to startle them? You try to tell them something real interesting, they say, oh, I saw that on TV. So what? So what? And that's what's happened to the church today. We've come all the way from amen to so what? And that's why revivals don't break out. They've seen and heard everything. The other day I saw a Pennsylvania Dutch sign that said, we are too soon old and too late smart. Oh, how true that is. We're old too soon and smart too late, you know, really smart. Uh, we lose the wonder so early these days. 
and the youngsters are not entirely to blame because we oldsters don't have time to wonder anymore about the majesty of God and the glory of creation and the marvels of his grace. We don't have time to meditate or to reflect about anything. We have to be doing something. Youngsters come today and say, but what can I do? I have to be doing something. You know, when I was a youngster, I really didn't have to worry much about that out on the farm where I live. Father always saw to it that we had something to do. He took care of that. I don't remember ever coming up to Dad saying, oh, I've run out of something to do. I never ran out of something to do around Dad, never. He saw to that. But we still had time in those days to do nothing. And I sometimes think that the times when we do nothing are as important as the times when we do something. We had time to be still, time to walk in the woods, Time to sit before an open fire and think, I'm glad they're putting fireplaces in houses again. I don't think anybody ever thought of anything worth thinking about looking at a steam radiator. <laughs> You've got to have some flames, some flickering flames. You've got to have something conducive to meditation. My Bible says that Isaac meditated in the fields at eventide. Well, if poor Isaac took out across the fields these days just to meditate, I know what folks would think. Poor Isaac, he's got wheels in his head. No golf, even? You can't imagine a man just walking. Golf's all right, I'm not a golfer. I always tell them that when I get out in a place as pretty as that, I don't want to be bothered with a bunch of sticks and a pocket full of balls. I want to look around. <clears throat> But you see, everything today is organized and supervised and planned and programmed and correlated. You don't just walk today, you have to have an organized hike. And you don't go out looking at birds, you have to join a club and keep records. And I never cared for that. I like to just look at them and not keep records, except just store away what I've seen in my mind. If I've got to keep a record of it. I took a stroll this morning. I, I wonder today if many people even know what God has given us in the birds. I don't believe that uh, uh, the average person knows there are over a dozen kinds of birds. And I stroll down the road here, and there was a little indigo bunning down there just singing his heart out. And... I'm afraid the poor fellow didn't have much of an audience around. Everybody was whizzing about. They didn't even know there was such a thing as an indigo bunting. Up there in the tree with his beautiful song, last spring I had to leave North Carolina right when the birds begin to come through, and I had to go to Maine to preach. And I, I said, Lord, uh, would you mind shooing a few of them up this way? I'm going to miss them down there and make some of them come through Maine. And you know they did. And I went out one glorious morning and there was the black-throated green warbler and the black-throated blue warbler and the rose-breasted grosbeak and all these birds that a lot of folks don't even know exist. And yet the Lord's put them all around us, a whole world of music right there, and we're in such a hurry we don't know that they're even there. We've got to have everything... Uh, uh, artificial these days. I may have told you before about this Canadian streamliner now that goes through uh, clear across the continent. And as beautiful as that ride is, a lot of folks grumble because there isn't any TV on it. 
Imagine riding through the Canadian Rockies looking at Howdy Doody. We've got to have something, you know. They can't enjoy what God put here for us. And you lose the wonder of it in the work of it. Now, the same thing, beloved, is true in Christian experience. And what is meant to be a life of faith working by love becomes highly organized religious activity. In the light of this text, we have three kinds of people. Jesus took a little child, children, I've never heard a sermon on this text. I think the silence has been profound. I think some Christians would be much more comfortable if the Lord had used a business tycoon or a scholar or some popular hero for his model, but he took a child. And he puts the child in the midst and upsets a lot of our pet standards because, you see, that's very disconcerting to us adults who like to act as though wisdom would die with us. And so the Lord says, except you be converted and be as some celebrity, no, except you be like a child. Second, the childish, Matthew 11, 16, 19, but whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, we have piped unto you and ye have not danced, we have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. That's a perfect description of this generation. John the Baptist came fasting, and Jesus came feasting. They called John a demoniac. They called Jesus a glutton. Nothing suited these childish people. They were like spoiled children who'd had too many toys. We still have plenty of them in the church. They're pitted and pampered, and no kind of preaching suits them. If the wrath of God is preached, they say the minister's too severe. If the love of God is proclaimed, they say he's too sentimental. If he speaks in a low tone, they say he's dull. If he speaks in a loud tone, they say he's deafening. If he stands still, they call him a statue. If he moves around, they say he's a sensationalist. They used to worry me until I learned to identify these children of the marketplace. And notice it says they, were, they play, that's what they were doing really here. They piped, they played wedding, they mourned, they played funeral. It looked real, but it was all make-believe. And in the same way today, childish Christians just play church. Some time ago, I was invited to Tremont Temple for some meetings, and the evangelical ministers wanted to put on a meeting each month. And uh, in the letter, it was said to me, we'd like something said today to stir us up and to warn us against just playing church. Beloved, there's a lot of it, and our Lord called it play-acting, hypocrisy. That's what the word means. Woe unto you, ye play-actors. There's something dangerous about acting, any kind, any kind. It's the only form of the arts in which you become somebody else. There are dangers connected with it. And this business of simulating something that is not actually your experience at that time. 
is dangerous. Uh, it certainly, in the spiritual realm, is a fearful danger. Play acting, simulating experiences that you don't have. We have it in these babies who won't grow up. They go through the motions of Christianity. We, uh, we see this dreadful thing in milk feeders who ought to be on meat. Carnal Christians, not newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word, but overgrown babies who are become such as have need of milk and not meat. And they're the headache and the heartache of any pastor. Pouting, selfish. Why, if John the Baptist came along, he'd be only a demoniac. And Jesus would be a glutton to such people. Now, how good it is to turn from the childish to the childlike in my text, except you be converted and become as little children. A revival, beloved, is when church members quit being childish and become childlike. Now, you can call it anything else you want to, but that's what it is. And all this fussing and fuming that we have among the saints today is just because we got a lot of overgrown babies. And when we get over that business and confess that we're a bunch of childish, contentious, Christians, sometimes play actors, and our Lord said hypocrites, then you can be an evangelical, fundamental, premillennial hypocrite. And when we get over that and say, Lord, I'm ashamed of myself for being so childish, make me childlike. You've got to be converted first. It says so right here. Not necessarily born again, but you do have to turn. I don't know of anything we need more than the conversion of the converted. If you know what I mean. The turning again of those who have turned to the Lord for salvation, but... They're babies, children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, God help us to grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But have become a man and must put away childish things. We're not to remain babes, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But in order to be a childlike Christian, beloved, <clears throat> there's not so much to learn as there is to unlearn. We have to unlearn a lot. This secret has been kept from the wise and prudent and revealed unto babes. There's a lot about this in the Bible. And I think one of the most wonderful things about a childlike Christian is that he has not lost his wonder. There ought to be in every child of God a sense of surprise and expectancy. Faith is not believing that God can do a wonderful thing. Faith is believing that he will. Why do sinners believe that he can? But how many of us believe that he will? How many times do you start for church and say, well, now maybe this will be the night that the fire will fall. God will do something for us. This is my Father's world. Anything can happen. That's why young Christians are so interesting, brand new. How 
haven't met too many Bible scholars. Haven't seen too many church members. They don't know any more than just to believe the Bible, just like it reads. They haven't learned yet that after a few years you're supposed to freeze. They haven't gotten around to that wisdom yet. In love with Jesus, in love with the saints, in love with lost souls. Now there are several things that will make you lose that wonder. One of them is a controversial spirit. That's what made Ephesus get over it. They were orthodox. They dealt with heresy. But they ended up having left their first love. I agree with that old Dutchman in Grand Rapids who said, what is all this argument about? I sure would like to get in a good old Jesus meeting. You know, I get kind of hungry to get in a good old Jesus meeting every once in a while. Where everybody isn't sitting out there sizing up the message, you know, and putting it away in little cubby holes, this for the Jew and this for the Gentile and this for the church of God and keeping none of it for themselves. Sam Jones used to say, most people come to church with a pitchfork. They throw the sermon back over their shoulder. I hope he gets it back there. It's what he's been needing. Sam said, you bring a rake next time. Rake it in for yourself. I'm preaching to you. I wish I had some way of seeing how many folks in this crowd's got a pitchfork along this morning. I've been wanting her to hear that. Well, I know one thing, beloved. We've got a lot of controversy today, and we're losing the wonder in it. You can argue about the great tribulation and lose the wonder and the joy and the freshness and the love of his appearing. But, of course, the compromising spirit will do it, too. Now, that was Pergamos and Thyatira, the spirit of Balaam and Jezebel that I preached about this week. That'll take the edge off your testimony. Worldly Christians have lost the joy of salvation. There's a hollow ring to it. They've lost the wonder. There's another spirit that'll do it, the cumbered spirit. Martha is so busy back in the kitchen that she has no time to sit at the feet of the Lord. That's Sardis. Busy. Having a name to be alive. You know the line in the old song, cumbered with a load of care. What a friend we have in Jesus, but you know that line. And oh, our Lord said so much about those things, the cares of this life. Has it got you down, beloved? Oh, you go to meetings aplenty. Sometimes I think that one good old-fashioned testimony meeting would be a, worth a month of the kind we have in some places. You know, you can work in a bakery and lose your taste for the bread. You can work in God's bakery and you can handle the carnage of God's truth, if I may change the figure and handle it so much that you forget to look on it and see whose image and superscription may be thereupon. You get used to it. Preachers are always in that danger. Familiarity with the things of God. Trafficking in unfelt truth. Sunday school teachers. All of us. There's one other spirit, the careless spirit. That's the Laodicean spirit. We become flippant. 
and frivolous. I believe in humor. I think we ought to have it, yes. But you have to watch. There's a difference between sanctified humor and levity and foolish talking and flippancy. We get to the place where we say flippant things about the sermon, flippant things about the Word of God. You have to watch it. I'd rather take my chances with a man that opposes the truth than with a man that plays with the truth. I think we have more to fear from outright opposition than from frivolous endorsement. Now, I don't know what it is in your case, but either of these, the controversial spirit, the compromising spirit, the cumbered spirit, the callous spirit, will take the wonder out of it and leave you nothing but the work. The Bible says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The early Christians were accused of being drunk. I've seen some these days look more like they're doped. Children, you know, don't need a stimulant. Their parents need a sedative at the end of the day. But the children are all a-tingle with the thrill of being young and brand new. Now God has provided a stimulant for his people. The joy of the Lord it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. I like that. Uh, everything today has got an additive. You know, this has got the magic something, the only product that's got it. And this has got that marvelous something. And if you don't get this, why all the rest don't have the additive? Well, I thank God that the joy of the Lord doesn't have an uh, additive of sorrow. You know, you don't have any morning after dark brown taste to the joy of the Lord. You don't lie awake all night worrying about something you said that day when you've been bragging on Jesus Christ. So... We ought to go in for that, brother. No bad aftertaste. He addeth no sorrow with it. Now today children are being excited by false stimulants, and Christians are being roused by all kinds of carnal excitements even in church. Children are being deprived of the simple joys of childhood, and Christians are being cheated out of the joy of salvation by artificial and superficial thrills. The greatest joys are the simplest of all natural pleasures. I wonder sometimes whether I've ever known anything greater than when as a boy I used to start out to roam the woods long, long ago. Just simple things. What greater happiness is there in all the world than just being a Christian? To stand amazed. I like the song. I stand amazed, not I sit amused. We have to sit amused today. We have to be entertained. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder. Wonder how he could love me, the sinner, condemned, unclean. Have you lost the wonder of it, beloved? If you've lost the wonder of it, you've just about lost all of it. Because if the only thing that you've got left is the work of it, there isn't anything in this world that's as exhausting and dry and stale and flat and unprofitable as church work without the Holy Spirit. I don't wonder that, you've, that you don't like to go to Sunday school if, if you don't have this touch of wonder. And preaching can be dead business too, beloved. 
If you lose the wonder and all you have work uh, left is the work. I mentioned here sometime last week that that was the difference between Ephesus and Thessalonica. You know, what was the trouble there at Ephesus? It was just work and it was just labor and it was uh, just uh, patience. And over there in Thessalonica, it was a work of faith and a labor of love and a patience of hope. And that made the difference. And if you've lost those three things, if you don't have the love and the faith and the hope, it's just work. And I don't know of any more wearing business in all this world. Maybe you've come here to Winona Lake. Maybe you're listening to me out there. And tomorrow's Sunday and you're going to have to get in the grind again. God forgive you for calling it that. you got to go to church. Somebody has to go. <clears throat> Maybe I'll live through it. Maybe you better stay at home and get right with God before you take off if you're going in that frame of mind. Because if all you're taking is the work and you don't have the wonder why you can't glorify God with the work. Teaching a Sunday school class can be dreary business if the love of Christ doesn't motivate you. Church visiting, preaching, you become like old Samson. You remember what happened to Samson? Three things. Binding, blinding, grinding. They bound him. And if you let the devil bind you, then he'll blind you. Then he'll put you to grinding. And you may still be grinding in the church, but it's grinding. That's what we call it today, isn't it? The grind. <laughs> isn't that awful? The grind. There was old Samson, and once the power of God had been upon him. But you couldn't count on that old boy. He had ability, but he didn't have dependability. One day he'd be carrying off the gates of Gaza, and the next day he'd be in the lap of Delilah. Couldn't tell where that old boy was going to show up next. Like a lot of church members I know, they're there Sunday morning. I'd hate to try to track them down by Tuesday night. And so, first thing you know, he's bound, he's fettered. No wonder we read, all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Then he's blinded. He's lost his vision. Then comes the grind. Do I speak to somebody this morning still doing Christian work, but it's a grind? And you're not aware of it. That's the worst thing about it. Sometimes I think we preachers are the last ones to catch on when we begin getting over it, getting over the wonder of it. I know of a great preacher whose wife said to him, Dear, you're not preaching like you used to. Why, he said, I am. He said, Dad, why am I am. I, I'm, I'm preaching the same truth I used to preach. Yes, she said, preaching the same things, but not preaching like you used to preach. And other folks were catching on all around. And he never caught on. That's the worst thing about this business. Somebody else, if they're not kind enough to tell you, uh, you won't know it unless you let God tell you. And then if you were stubborn enough to resent it, <laughs> resist it, and I don't know of anything left for you but to grind in the prison house. I'm reminded of old Christmas Evans, the Welsh preacher who started to preach on Saturday. He was on his way on horseback across the dark mountains of Wales. 
And he said, all of a sudden, God convicted me of a cold heart. And he said, I tethered my horse and went out in the woods, and for four hours, I waited on God until I could feel in my heart the breaking up of a hard winter. I like that. What time of year is it in your heart? We have a little chorus sometimes about it's summertime in my heart. It's wintertime in a lot of our hearts. This is a day of air conditioning, but there's no push button in this world that'll change your heart from winter to spring. There is no gadget that'll do that, my friend. And you can try to stir yourself up with all the fault stimulants, and there are plenty of them today. You can't change the seasons of the soul that way. And I don't know of anything that the saints need today more than the change of seasons in the soul. The Bible says you ought to break up your fallow ground. That's one of those things we do at a certain season in the year out on the farm. You need to put in the plow and let God speak to you. Evidently, Christmas Evans out there for four hours, that gave plenty of time for the Lord to tell him something. Tell him what was the matter, put in the plow, break up the fallow ground. We talk a lot about sowing the seed, and we talk a lot about cultivating the crop, and we talk about gathering the harvest today, but I tell you we're not going to have either until we have some groundbreaking. We need preaching today that does that. We're talking all the time about gathering in more folks, and thank God for that. But we're not going to have much of a harvest until we break up the ground. The cold soil of our hearts. And it comes back to my text again. In order to do that, you need to be converted. That's what our Lord said to Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Now that's what was the matter with Simon Peter. He had uh, denied his Lord. He was still a believer, but he was not a disciple. Not then. Because the angel said at the sepulcher, go tell his disciples and Peter. He wasn't a disciple. Not then. That was an interim. That was a sort of an in-between period there. And the Lord said... At, at one time, the Lord said to him, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when you turn, when you turn, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. And then later on, down there by Tiberias, you remember what the Lord said to him? Lovest thou me, feed my sheep. That's the same thing as strengthening the brethren. Feeding the sheep. You can't feed the sheep, beloved, till you've been converted. I don't mean born again. Certainly you can't if you haven't been born again. But some folks are born again. They're not converted this way. You can't feed the sheep in the Sunday school class. You can't feed the sheep in the home. You can't feed the sheep from the pulpit until you've turned and become not childish but childlike. Call it anything you want to. Call it the first love that Ephesus left. Call it the joy of salvation. Call it the victorious life. Call it the spirit-filled life. Call it revival. I don't care what you call it. The secret of a growing and going and glowing testimony is to be able to say like Gypsy Smith in his 80s, I've never lost the wonder. I read some time ago of 
a man who sat in a railway coach as the train sped across the country, looking out the window, looking all around, fascinated by everything he saw, even the smallest objects that seemed to stir his interest, the passing landscape, the faces of the passengers. And every once in a while he'd say, wonderful, wonderful. And a fellow passenger, finally overcome by curiosity, moved over and sat down beside him and said, Friend, I've never seen anybody enjoy a railroad trip on a coach like you're doing, and please tell me, what is it that brings from your lips every once in a while wonderful? The fellow said, Well, until a few days ago I was a blind man. And a great doctor gave me my side. And he said, things that are perfectly commonplace to you are out of this world to me. Everything is marvelous because I'm seeing it for the first time. The landscape, the faces of these people, even the plush on these seats, everything's wonderful <laughs> because I've had my eyes open. And I think, my friends, that you and I, who once were blind and now through amazing grace we see, I marvel that we don't go through this world singing more than we do, wonderful, wonderful, Jesus is to me, Prince of Peace, Counselor, Mighty God is he, saving me and keeping me from all sin and shame. He is my Redeemer, praise his name. I think if we had more people going through this world today saying wonderful that way, it might be that other folks, probably this passenger thought at first there was something wrong with that poor chap over the window, but he learned otherwise. Never mind. Somebody may come around and say, what makes you that way? And then you'll have a chance to tell them. Something wonderful has happened to me. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And it'll enable you to get along with what you ought to get along with. You get along with other Christians. Get along with the neighbors. I know they're a problem sometimes. I know the little girl got mixed up on the glory song and started out when all my neighbors and trials roar. But you can get along with things you couldn't get along with when you've had a touch, maybe that touch of conversion that you need. Well, what are we going to do about that? How do you get it? Remember, repent, and repeat the advice of our Lord, Ephesus. Now, you've heard the message, don't defend yourself. One of my biggest problems today is that so many dear people, they, they start putting up a defense. Yes, but. Now, don't defend yourself. Don't argue for yourself. And he willing to justify himself said. That's all true, Brother Havner, but then you see. <laughs> no, I don't. There's victory for every one of us here. And Dr. Morgan used to say, begin again as though you had never known him, and with all the simplicity of a little child. And if you keep the wonder, it'll give you victory in the work. As the little girl carrying the little boy along said, 
when she was asked, isn't he heavy? And she said, no, he's not heavy, he's my brother. You see, it makes a lot of difference when you have the wonder, shall we pray? Our Father, we thank thee for these days we've had together here with these friends. We thank thee for the gracious response of their hearts. We thank thee for the privilege of being children of God. And we do thank thee for the great physician who touches our blinded eyes and we see. Oh, God, give us some more of the wonder. Sometimes we're just so carried away with the work of it and so overwhelmed with the task of it that we lose the triumph of it and the wonder of it. And where there are those this day who have heard the message, we pray that the Holy Spirit shall convert them, shall enable them to turn, turn from childishness, pettiness, peevishness, give victory over that quarrelsome, resentful disposition, take that chip off their shoulder for good, and Lord, make them childlike Christians with a sense of wonder that expects God to do the marvelous thing. Our Father, we thank thee for the fellowship of these days. We pray that thou shalt use it to quicken the lives and hearts of Christians, to edify thy people, to build up the church, to turn lost ones to thee. Continue to bless Winona Lake. Bless Dr. Muntz. Give him added strength of spirit, mind, and body, and all who labor with him. Make next week the best week yet. Bless Merv Roselle tomorrow and all these other speakers who come. Help us in these last days, Lord, that we might have such a glowing and going and growing testimony that folks shall be aware of the fact that we've been with Jesus and that he is wonderful to us. We thank thee for thy presence with us this day. We trust thee for the days ahead. For the God of the hitherto is the God of the henceforth. We thank thee for all thy blessings in Christ's name. Amen. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.